everyone. Uh, it's wonderful to be gathered together for Christmas Eve. Uh, Merry Christmas is something I've been saying my whole life. I have uh, watched Christmases and been a part of Christmas, looked forward to Christmas all year long. Uh, Christmas was a favorite of mine uh, for the food and for the gifts and for family. And I want to, uh, as a way of introduction, take you back to a couple of Christmases of my past. In 1979, I was 15 years old. Uh, the place was a house on Campbell Street that I grew up in. Uh, we would start by going to Arlington Heights Evangelical Free Church for the Christmas Eve service, and then we would uh, go home and we would open gifts on both Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve was when our big gifts were opened, and then we'd have Christmas Day. But Christmas and when I was 15 years old, it was just my individual family. It was just me, my mom, and my dad, and I had three sisters and two brothers, and uh, we had a full, fun, loud Christmas. Uh, my older sister would be talking about how she had a headache pretty early on in the uh, night because of how loud we were, and sarcasm was the communication of the day. Uh, we would tell stories of our youth. We would make fun of each other. I had nicknames. I was the youngest for eight years, and some of the nicknames would always come up. One of them was Little Chief Thunder in the Pants, and you can only imagine where that came from. <laughs> so those stories would be told ad nauseum. We would go over them again and again and again, and then we would have food. And uh, this was before we knew what gluten was. This was before we worried about sugar. And uh, food was made with all the sugar and the butter that you can imagine, and it was really tasty. Uh, we loved the food. And my mom would make cinnamon rolls um, before, uh, for Christmas morning, and uh, that's something that she would make as a special treat for us, her homemade cinnamon rolls. They were really caramel rolls, but she called them cinnamon rolls. And uh, we were allowed only one when we were little. Uh, we would pass it around, and we would fight over getting one of the middle ones, because the middle ones were better than the others. And You'd eat them in a circle till you got to the center, and then you'd eat that centerpiece. As we got older and would celebrate Christmas, my mom released us and allowed us to have as many as we want, and it was very strange to see grown adults fight over cinnamon rolls. But we would fight over them just because we had been on a, uh, on a like, controlled in how many we could have when we were younger. At 15 years old in 1979, I had just given my life to Christ four months earlier at 14. So this is the first Christmas that I'm celebrating where, it is, where I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a month or two away from starting to date a girl, Jeannie Olson, who would become my wife. Christmas was, I look back at it fondly. I look back at it with warmth. I look back at it sometimes longing for days past. There was a place on Campbell Street where we celebrated Christmas. There was a group of people that we celebrated Christmas with. Everything that was going on in the world around us, we didn't necessarily notice. What I noticed from a 15-year-old's perspective is this is where I belonged. This was Christmas. Ten years later, 1989, uh, we've been married now for three years, Jeannie and I, and Christmas has expanded to two houses. We go to the place in Buffalo Grove on Whitehall Court where Jeannie's family is, and we would go to 
my parents' house, and we would split up spaces where we celebrated Christmas. But it was still about a place. Uh, the place in, in Buffalo Grove, um, I loved hanging with Uncle Paul. Even though he was a Packer fan, he always was my ticket to watch football. So everybody else would be talking, and if Uncle Paul got up and left to watch football, I would be with him because I was going to spend time with Uncle Paul. And I, was, I would commune with him over a football game, and he was always my ticket. To this day, I will remind him that he was my ticket out of the conversation at the table, and off I would go. Uh, we had one child, so that changes Christmas as soon as you have a child. It becomes not about us anymore, and it becomes about that kid. And uh, we had Amanda at that point, um, and we were celebrating Christmas for the first time as our little unit family, Jeannie, Amanda, and I not knowing what God would bring, but Christmas was wonderful. The places of Christmas in 1989 were Campbell Street still in Arlington Heights, um, Whitehall Court in Buffalo Grove, and uh, at that point, we lived in Arlington Heights as well in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an apartment, and uh, that was the place where we started to get ornaments for the first time and start to decorate for the first time. Uh, we now have like 20 boxes of Christmas stuff, and at that point, we, we probably couldn't fill a box of Christmas stuff. It was just beginning. <laughs> we all have our version of Christmas, do we not? 1979-1989. And something I would want those who are younger here to recognize, that when we get older, we look back favorably on the past and kind of forget the hard times, kind of forget the difficulties and think, oh, that was when Christmas was Christmas. And actually, there are difficulties in every year and trials in every year, and the joy and the heart of Christmas is in what Jesus Christ provides every year. So let's look and continue our study in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. I'm not going to read the passage again. We have, we have looked at it, but I'm going to look at the story of Christmas and the glory in Christmas. God's story in Christmas. <coughs> Excuse me. In, in the first verse of Hebrews, it says, Long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God was speaking and he began to make promises. He promised about a gathering place. As much as I talk about a gathering place that I had in 1979 and 1989, and still today, we have gathering places, God's promise was for a gathering place for his people right in the beginning. It'd be hard for them to even fathom what he was saying. In Genesis 15, 18 to 21, we're not going to read the passages today because I'm going to move through this story pretty quickly. God gives a promise that goes well beyond what they could even imagine. He says, I'm going to give you a land. And right now, this, the people of God are just Abraham and Sarah. There are no children. And he says to them, I'm going to give you a land that is going to extend from the Nile River to the River Euphrates. The, 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 the scope, you know, what they're fighting over today in Israel is a very small piece of what was promised. They were promised a land that from their perspective was without end. It meant the known world to them. It would go all the way to, the ba to Babylon and all the way to Egypt and all the way up to Assyria. It would go down. like It included so much ground that today it would mean that 
would mean Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. But more importantly, it was the known world to them. God was promising them a place that was beyond their comprehension. And to this day, he promises us a place that is beyond our comprehension. We set up a home and we think, well, this is the place where Christmas happens. Christmas is the promise of a place that is beyond our understanding. It's not just a building, and it's not just a home, and it's not just a church building. It is a place that God has promised for his people to gather, and, and the parameters are meant to not limit but expand and would imply the universal rule of the Christ child one day. In John 4.21, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and she is saying, are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain where our fathers have declared that we should worship. And Jesus says something that changes the whole story. You will not worship in Jerusalem or in this mountain, but the true worshipers of God will worship everywhere. Where is Christmas for us? Where is the Christ child who reigns over us? Well, he's available to us wherever we're planted, wherever God's people join together. This is holy ground, as we celebrate today as God's people the birth of his son. We worship in spirit and truth the one who has given us a gathering place. Ultimately, Jesus spoke about this gathering place before he left the planet. I am going to prepare a place for you. Why does the place matter so much to God? Why does it matter so much to us? Why does our stuff and our traditions and our places, and this was the, 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 the seat that Grandpa read the Christmas story to us, and this was the place. I'd go buy our old house. My kids will go buy our old house. Why? Is it the studs? Is it the drywall? Is it the yard? It's not. It's the relationships. This is where God enters into relationship with his people. There is a place in Christmas, available to all of us, where God meets us. Merry Christmas. And what about the changes that happen in Christmas that seem to steal Christmas joy? Ultimately, those things that we treasure here on earth will pass away, but the promises that God gives us in Christmas will never pass away. In fact, we will long for them more and more as we grow older. God's story is about a gathering place. God's story is about a gathered people. In Genesis 15, 5 and Deuteronomy 26, 19, God promised people. The people will be like the stars of the sky. They'll be like the sand on the seashore. Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah are looking at the possibilities for them to have a people that come from their loins, and they're saying, Well, this is, would take a miracle. Well, this is a miraculous people that God is joining together, but he wasn't thinking just about the people of Abraham. He was thinking about the church. He was thinking about the Christians. He was thinking about those who would be called his people. This promise extended from the very beginning in Genesis 12, 3. They were supposed to bless those and all the families of the earth would be blessed. And in Revelation 7, 9, we see that a great multitude that number from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all languages are before the throne and before the Lamb. 
This gathering place that's in heaven is going to include all of the people, and Christmas is the invitation to invite every people group, every individual. Christmas is about individuals, one at a time, one generation at a time. Come and receive this promise that is Christmas, the promise of a place and the promise of a people. God has continued to gather from every tribe, this promised people, and it's remarkable to me how personal this is. This whole sermon series, we've been talking about very grand thoughts that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, that he upholds all things by the word of his power, that God has been speaking in ages past and continued to speak, but now he has ultimately spoken through his son. This picture that we're seeing seems lofty, universal, but Jesus came close and dwelt among us, getting one person at a time. I've already referenced the woman at the well. Maybe would be in the team photo of the least likely people that Jesus would make a promise to or would interact with. She has failed in marriage five times. She's a Samaritan, which were hated by Jews. And Jesus reaches out to her in the most unique and intimate way, knowing her life and entering into her story. When we talk about a people gathered together, you might think that this is personal to you and you're thinking of somebody that's missing out on the Christmas promise in your family or someone who is no longer with you for this Christmas. And we all have been touched by that, I think. But I want you to know that God's promise in Christmas is personal to him. Just as every one of us is personal to him. He pauses all of the universal story to say to you, I love you. I've come for you. You're not alone. I've described two two Christmas experiences of my life. I had a very good home that I grew up in. Jeannie had a very good home to grow up in. There are many who did not have that experience. Where is Christmas for them? Where is the Christmas story for brokenness and for divorce and for loneliness? The Christmas story is as intimate as with anyone else because Jesus came to seek and save every one of us. And we'll see that tonight as we open up a story of invitation, an invitation for us all. Christmas is a story about a gathering place. It's a story about a gathered people. It's a story about a gathering king. In 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13, God made a promise. Why does God keep on promising? He makes a covenant promise to a messed up king named David that I'm going to bring a king from your loins that will rule forever. And no one got it. And even when Jesus came, they couldn't see how this could be a king. Why would he come as a baby in Bethlehem? Why would This isn't what they imagined. They, they pictured him ushering in a new reign where the Israelites would rule over the nations around them and they would by force 
take those nations that I just mentioned by power, by rule, and by authority of this new king that was promised from the line of David. Turns out that this king ushered in a new covenant. A new covenant where by his blood, everyone had availability and access to to God the Father through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this passage from Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The plan of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, the place of Christmas, the person of Christmas is all about redemption. It's all about God coming near into our stories and saving. This king would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's consider 2,000 years of Christmases. Everlasting peace? Where's the peace? Where's the joy? If I were to truly take you back to 1979 and 1989 for those Christmases, you would find out that my Christmases were messed up, that there was brokenness. I had just started following the Lord. My brothers and sisters didn't buy it. I used to steal and cheat and lie and swear like a sailor, and my my brothers and sisters were the last to trust that this heart was changed because they were the ones I was cheating, and they were the ones I was lying to. And they were the ones that I stole from. And Christmas enters into this young man's life, and I find that in my own home, I'm doubted. And to add to it, I was a little preachy, which wasn't necessarily received well. All of a sudden, four-month-old following Jesus knows what's best for everybody, and I'm telling them all. It wasn't as great of a Christmas as I might remember. In 1989, a month earlier, we'd found out that we'd had our second miscarriage. Was it as perfect as I remember? As we went to family and spent time with family, do you know that families are a mess? Anybody else know that? That it's not perfect? That there's difficulties and trials? What is this peace that is promised? What is this joy in Christmas that we celebrate? Is it that we get everything we want and everybody's behaving? The peace that is afforded us in Christmas is something about what's going on inside of us and between us and God the Father. Peace in the storm. 
It is not lost on me that when Jesus said, I came that you might have joy and have it to the full, that he said that on the eve of his death and them being scattered. What is this joy he's talking about? Does it mean that Christmas is, everybody gets like the tree's perfect and no needles fall before Christmas Eve and you wake up and everybody's happy with their gifts and nobody's sick? Have you been to Christmas? The promise of Christmas is about something in your heart. The place of Christmas is in the presence of the living God. In a relationship that is only going to spring forth into eternal life. This is not our place. Our place is yet to come. The story of Christmas is wonderful. The glory in Christmas. What is the glory in Christmas? Well, Christmas first is about holiness, the absolute moral purity and distance from humanity of God the Father. No one has seen God at any time, the scriptures tell us. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Why has no one seen God the Father? Because when sin entered into the world, a holy God could not abide sin. And he kept his distance. Even when he led his people through the desert for 39, 40 years, he was distant. When he met them on the mountain, they had to be careful. You couldn't see him face to face because holiness is not something that we as sinful people could coexist in. Well, how in the world is it possible that the word became flesh and dwelt among us? that a holy God would become man and live in a broken world. God's glory in Christmas. God incarnate, how can this be? It is God's story, God's plan, and God's glory to enter into our family stories, into our homes, into our lives, and to save and redeem. Christmas is, for every one of us, an invitation into relationship with him. How can it be about holiness? Well, hold that thought for a minute. Christmas is all about, also about wholeness. It's about making us whole, restored, redeemed. Christmas in a broken world. 1979 was not as nice as I remember as I look back fondly. 1989, I would be glad to go back to either Christmas, but I would also have my problems at both Christmas. At the very first Christmas, Jesus was sought after by those who would put him to death, and babies were killed. Welcome to the world, Jesus. Jesus' parents had to hide in Egypt to keep his son alive. Jesus was raised in Nazareth, a place that his own followers said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was on the wrong side of the tracks. 
What's he doing growing up there? Right where God wants him. With the people that God's called him to reach. We read the Christmas story and we see in this story God's glory is exemplified in Christmas. From a mountain where you couldn't approach to a, to a flame or a cloud that leads them through the wilderness to a holy of holies with a veil that you can only enter into his presence and plead mercy once a year. To Jesus drawing close and we see the glory in How do we reconcile God the Father who is high and lifted up and holy and God the Son humbly coming as a baby and living right among us, right alongside of us? Fully God, fully man. God's glory is as much in the mountain and in the flame and in the cloud as he is in the nativity scene and in Nazareth. How is God's glory put on display? How do you picture God? There are many people throughout my life that have probably the number one reason people think that God doesn't exist is evil in the world. They say, it goes like this. This is the logic. If God is good and God is all-powerful, how come there's evil in the world? Well, the answer is, in Christmas, God is good, God is all-powerful, And God came as a baby to save us. If you want to see the glory of God, if you want to know who he is, he's between the mountain in Sinai and Bethlehem. He's both. The glory of God is put on display in the humble nature of his son. Restoring one at a time and seeing us. And the Old Testament, Hagar said, gave God a new name. He is the God who sees me. She was spurned. She was left for dead in the wilderness with her child. And she said, God met me. God sees even me. Christ meets the woman at the well and changes not only her life, but that whole town's life in Samaria. The God who sees me. Where is a good God? He's in the middle of your Christmas story, in the middle of your Christmas family, in the middle of your Christmas place, inviting you into a relationship with God forever. Christmas is about wholeness and him bringing wholeness back to humanity. He saw the brokenness in the world and he saw the helplessness in the world and he chose to do something about it from the beginning. God's glory is about holiness. God's glory is about wholeness. And God's glory is about a great gift. We'll see tonight that Christmas is a great invitation. From the beginning, God has promised to bless the nations. It's hard for us to see. Do you know in 1979, on November 4th, Iranian militants seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and took hostages. Anybody alive to remember that? Merry Christmas. The Soviet invaded Afghanistan on December 27th of 1979. Was Christmas really better then? 
1989, on December 15th, there was a Romanian uprising overthrowing the communist government, and on Christmas Day, they executed the president and his wife. U.S. troops invade Panama, seeking capture of the genuine Manuel Noriega on December 20th in 1989. I think we look with rose-colored glasses at Christmas's past. Let's take them off and ask the question, where is Christ in Christmas? Really? Where is Christ in our story today? And the reality is that Christ came near into the mess that is our lives, and every year, every generation, every person, he invites them into a relationship with him. Merry Christmas is the Christmas that you let Jesus rule in your life. That's Merry Christmas. It's not about the presents, it's not about the house, and it's not about the family. Although I'm going to do all those things this Christmas. Ultimately, Christmas joy is found in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God came near. Why hasn't he brought about the end? Have any of you followers of Christ ever said, Jesus, come quickly? This world is ready for it to end. Why doesn't he end it and start the new beginning where we'll all be gathered with him in eternity? Because he loves the next generation. He's not done pursuing one generation to the next. Christmas isn't just about you and me. It's about my children and my grandchildren. And as long as he chooses to wait, he's not done inviting. Merry Christmas. I hope you receive the invitation of the Christ child this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you write stories differently than we do. If we could write the stories, we would all be comfortable. We would all be happy. We would all have what we want this Christmas. And we don't have those things. Not all of them. But your story is better than our story, and your redemption goes farther than a day. It began on a day, and it would extend through eternity. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of Christmas. And thank you for the hope that we have in a Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.